be jumping into our, our, our sermon series, which this is the fifth week of our sermon series called Jesus is Better. And uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews. Thank you, Rick. We're going through the book of Hebrews. And um, uh, the main theme of the book of Hebrews is the betterness, I don't know if that's a word, but the betterness of, of Jesus, how Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews was written to people who were Hebrews, and they um, had come out of Judaism about 70 A.D., and uh, this is the first century of the church. The church is just being born. And they have come out of Judaism. They put their faith in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews then writes to um, these, these former Jews. And the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is to um, convince them or to remind them that Jesus is better than anything that they could possibly turn to. Because what happened with them and what happens with us oftentimes is we turn to Jesus and then uh, as we walk with him a little ways, we kind of start to go back to the things that we trusted in before. And so they were going back to Judaism. They were, they were, you know, they they were missing the, the the rituals and the formality of their Jewish faith. And a lot of their friends were making fun of them, saying, "Man, you, you've totally missed the boat with this Jesus thing." And the writer of Hebrews, though we don't know exactly who it is, we know that it's the Holy Spirit. We know that it's written. Um, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, the the particular author is not is not doesn't necessarily identify himself, but we do know that the Holy Spirit is writing to remind these people of the 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 goodness of Jesus and the betterness of Jesus, and and I feel like this this book is so applicable to us here today in 2015 because many of us probably aren't leaning toward going back to Judaism. But as soon as we start following Jesus, man, there the temptation to go back to something is always, always there. And, um, and I want to I want to solidify your faith. I want to anchor your faith in Jesus Christ. Because um, you can go to church for a long time and not even have your faith in Jesus. Um, okay. Well, anyway, it's true. So whether you believe it or not, you can, you, can, you can live your life as a good person. You can be a Texan and not have your faith in Jesus, okay? Um, you know, I mean, not if you're a football fan. But all, in all other forms of Texas life, you can not put your faith in Jesus because it's so easy to look for something tangible and something um, uh, familiar. And that's exactly what the Jewish people were struggling with in this letter. And so we're going to continue reading. Last week we read uh, chapter 6 and really preached through that. And this week we're going to continue on into chapter 7 and chapter 8. So if you haven't done your Bible reading today, you're going to get it in right now. Um, and we're going to read, we're just going to read through both chapters all at once. And then we're going to go back and sort of explain a little bit. Is that all, is that all right? Okay, uh, if, if you have a Bible with you, turn to um, Hebrews chapter 7. Um, if you do not, we have a, a giant Bible here on the screen that um, the screen is working, which is awesome. We've had some technical issues with the screen today. It's kind of the devil's in the, in the, the, the screen. Anyway, um, don't cast them out. So anyway, chapter 7, verse 1. <laughs> Hebrews ought to do it. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, For this Melchizedek, now, we talked about him a little bit last week. We're going to get into him a little bit more. This guy named Melchizedek, he was the king of Salem and priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So we talked about last week that Jesus is a blesser. And uh, Jesus is kind of like Melchizedek in that he comes to us and he blesses us. And that's exactly what Melchizedek did. Verse 2 says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all that he had, first being translated, King of Righteousness. So the, the word Melchizedek means King of Righteousness. 
And then also, he's called the king of Salem, and Salem is not a geographical place. Salem means king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but was made like the Son of God. He remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, how great this Melchizedek was, that even the patriarch Abraham, now if you're talking to Jews, man, Abraham is it, like he is the father of the faith. You don't get the title father of the faith without being a pretty awesome guy. And the writer of Hebrews says, now think about this for just a minute, consider how great Melchizedek is that even Abraham basically gave him an offering, gave him a tithe, gave him 10% of everything that he had. Man, this guy must be amazing. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, that's the current priesthood, uh, the priesthood there, they have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham. In other words, uh, Melchizedek is not a son of Abraham. He's not according to this order or this particular covenant. But yet, he's greater than Abraham. He received tithes from Abraham, and he blessed him who had the promises. That's Abraham. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, technically paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? And he's referencing the, the passage that he spoke on in chapter 6, where God prophesied and said, um, I have sworn and will not relent. He is, the Messiah is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so the writer says, look, if, 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 if this other order was good, why would we need to change it? Why would we need to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. That's Jesus. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever. Keyword is forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For no, for, for, for on the one hand, there is an annulling. It's a doing away with the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. I love that. A better, Jesus is a better hope. And he brought in a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he has not made priests without an oath, for they uh, have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. We're talking better hope, better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, that's Jesus, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, 
harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those other priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law appoints high priests from men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. You guys still with me? I feel like I'm preaching right now, just reading Hebrews. I like it. Chapter uh, 8, verse 1 says, Now this is the main point. <laughs> this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. We're going to get into this next week. But the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be the priest, since there are several priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed. When he was about to make the tabernacle, God said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Are you getting the idea that Jesus is better? <laughs> he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Man, how many, how many times can you shove the word better into a chapter? For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no, no one would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, he says, this is a quote from Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand. Notice the language. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor saying and his brother saying, know the Lord. For all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what's becoming obsolete is growing old and is about to vanish away. I love that. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the, the permanence of it and the effectiveness of it. Thank you that we can rely on your word. We can rest on your word. Thank you that we can see the betterness of Jesus. Help us to, to read your word and help us to see Jesus Christ and apply it to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we, we, we often here at City Chapel, we often like to talk about differences because I think they're kind of funny. But one of the differences that we often talk about, I often talk about, I say we like I'm the Apostle Paul, but um, I often talk about differences between my wife and I. Um, when we got married, um, especially when we got married, we were very different. We've been sort of getting sort of a little bit closer. Um, when you live with somebody for nine years, you know, you have to, to, to change a little bit. You have to, you know, shape up a little bit in some areas. And probably the biggest change for me so far um, has been in the area of, um, well, what she would call organization. <laughs> so those of you that know me may... Now, those of you who know me for a long time especially know that, you know, what, what she would call organization is not really my strongest suit. Uh, 
And I say what she would call because technically I am very, very organized. I just have such a high level of, of intelligence that most people think it's disorganization. Like, it's, a, it's, really, it's really special kind of gifting that God gave me. I, I, I have the ability to live like in a, in, well, for instance, when, when, when we were dating, she would come over to my house, which was kind of, it wasn't really a house. It was a, kind of a, like a little shack. It was one of, those, one of those buildings that you get from Lowe's, and it has a little kitchenette thing and a restroom, and then it's basically a big room, you know, and, uh, which that works fine for me. Um, and so she would come in, and she would see my superior level of organization, and she mistook it for a mess, and so she would start moving things. This is a problem. Because my organization only works so long as nobody touches it. That's how it works. Because I know where my underwear is. It's next to the bed. Which is ideal, because I don't have to get up and look through a cabinet to find, like I just roll out of bed, there's my underwear. It's great. There's my t-shirt, there's some pants over by the door exactly where you need them. I mean, everything is, is just ordered so specifically and perfectly. And this is the way I kind of operated my life until this lady walked into my life. And then she couldn't understand my level of organization because she is actually what normal people would call organized. Um, and this is, this is, by the way, this is like, this is a, a thing that a lot of people have. They have the need, like, to organize things. Um, in fact, you know, there's, there's entire stores that are just dedicated to this sick um, condition. Um, <laughs> You know, and we, we need to pray for healing, right? Just We just need to stretch our hands. And um, anyway, if you have this condition, we'll definitely pray for you. But, like, there's stores that all they do is sell boxes. Have you, have you ever been to one of those stores? Like, I've seen this. I've never been in the store because it's ridiculous. All the boxes are empty. They're just empty boxes. That's the box store. Empty boxes. You buy empty boxes to put stuff in so that you can put things that match other things. Anyway, like, that's just crazy to me. Why would I want to buy more boxes? stuff to put more stuff in stuff when I got floors and tabletops and things like that to put stuff on. It's just, you know, so I'm, my, my, my organization is a little more economical. But um, what, I've, what I've found is that when you live with somebody who's more organized, sometimes they just, like, they just can't take it anymore, right? They can't take the lack of what they would call organization. And so they just start cleaning. And um, we, we, we have learned, and, and this is where I have learned to be more organized, because if I'm not, things just disappear <laughs> forever. And I'll say, where did you, like, like, I, like, I had, you know, I don't know, something on the table. I had my iPad on the table. Do you know where my iPad is? I have no idea, she will say. And I'm like, well, it was there, like, this morning, and then this afternoon I come back, and it's not there, so did the kids take it? Do I need to interrogate them, or was it the dog, or... She says, no, I cleaned up. That's code for the spirit that, that possesses her body occasionally. And her eyes get sort of crazy. And she just starts cleaning. And she cleans really fast. And she has no idea where every, anything went, only that it went in a logical place. But uh, nobody knows what these log where these logical places exist. And so they just, they just go places. And so I've really learned to have a more organized life. And, and it's, we, because, because I, I, I think regardless of whether we think we're organized or not organized, we all like to have a system that we kind of feel like we can sort of depend on. Like we have a system uh, of, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with systems. There's nothing wrong with, with, with some organizations. The box store, I mean, if you like boxes, you know, 
go for it. Knock yourself out. Just have fun. You probably won't go to hell for it. It's fine. It's just, you know, it's just one of those gray areas that, you know, kind of like, you know, anyway, no. <laughs> uh, you know, so just just go for it. But, but, but we all, I think whether you live in a, 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 a dirt floor shack in Somalia, you're going to have some way of organizing your stuff. And if you live in a mansion, you're going to have some way of organizing your stuff. And, and if, if you are organized, you're going to have a very distinct way. And if you're not organized, you're going to have a sort of slightly sloppy, sort, sort, you know, whatever kind of way. But we all have ways of organizing our life. We have methods. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our world's full of, of methods. But I think if, if we really look at what these people are struggling with in this, in this passage, that's kind of what they were missing. They were missing the sure method that they had to get near to God. They had a priest. They had sacrifices. You know, they were missing, as weird as it sounds, they were missing, like, killing their pets to get close to God. Because, there, you know, there was just something that was tangible about that, right? Because if you sin, you know that it's bad. You feel bad about it. And so whenever an, an, an innocent animal were to die, which is the Old Testament, this is what they did. Whenever, whenever they, they came before God and they had sin in their life, they would kill a goat, which I am all for, the, 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 the mass killings of goats. They are like some of the worst animals ever. So if, you know, I, God knew what he was doing on that one, right? No, no bunnies were sacrificed. No dogs were sacrificed, only goats and other things that you really don't need. So anyway, so they would, they would kill one of, their, one of their pet goats, and they would bring that before the Lord. And this, 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 this dead animal was to basically be a covering for their sin, because sin is bad. When you do something bad, you feel bad about it. And so somebody has to pay, and that's kind of the idea. Well, this, this innocent animal is going to pay for my sin and the sin of my family. It's going to cover us. And I'm going to know that I'm right with God. Why? Because we killed, you know, our pet goat, um, whatever his name, Lambert. You know, we took out Lambert. Lambert covered our sins. And we brought it to a priest. And the, the, the physical priest was standing there. He blessed us. And, and you know, there was incense. And there was, there was all this, all, all this stuff, the forms, the system, the method for getting close to God. And this is what the Jews are missing. They're like, man, I, I miss our, our rabbi. I, I kind of miss our priest. I kind of miss those feast days, you know. I, I kind of miss, like, like, communion's good and all. But, you know, the feast days, those are really good. You know, I just, I, I just kind of miss the way that we used to relate to God because I just knew, I knew when we killed the goat that that would be enough. But now I'm kind of wondering and wavering and just missing that method in that way. And so really what I want to talk to you about today is that, is that Jesus is a better way. Jesus is a better way to relate to God, better way, a better organization. It's a better order. Um, there are several orders. There are several ways that people say that they can get close to God. But the whole theme of, of Hebrews is that Jesus is a better way. That there's a, there's a better path to God. There's a, there's a better way to draw near to God. And so the way that we do that is by looking through this passage. First of all, um, the writer of Hebrews, if you want to bring up the, the scripture there, the first, the first bit. The writer of Hebrews is talking about a guy named Melchizedek. And that's a really weird name. And if, and if you, you haven't studied the Bible much, you've never probably heard about Melchizedek. Most people, we don't celebrate Melchizedek's birthday because we don't know when he was born. We don't celebrate his death because we don't know when he died. He, he appears just for a couple of, of strange verses in the Old Testament in Genesis. We read them last week. And then he disappears. He's kind of like a B-level character with respect to the overall story. And any Jew would have known about Melchizedek because Jews were taught the book of Genesis 
from a very early age. And so they understood that there was this guy named Melchizedek, don't know much about him, but he did, he blessed our great father Abraham. And, you know, and Abraham paid him a tithe. We don't really know why, but that's, that's all that they knew about mysterious Mel, you know. And what's so cool is that the Holy Spirit brings about this small little character. And he says, now, now several of you learned about this as a child, but you didn't really know the significance of mysterious Mel, of Melchizedek. Because the Jews would have raised an eyebrow at this. They would have been like, wait a minute, Mel, we know, we know about Melchizedek, but he's not really that important. And so what the writer does is he brings about an Old Testament reference in Psalms where there's a prophetic uh, uh, utterance made concerning the Messiah. And he says that the Messiah will be according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Judaism, not according to the order of, of the priests of Judaism, but according to a different, a new and better order. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he says, now, I want you to notice, first of all, the greatness, right? He says, think about how great this guy is. This guy is must be awesome if Abraham felt that he had to bring an offering to him. If Abraham was blessed by this guy, then this guy must be even better than Abraham. And all of the entire Jewish faith comes and flows out of Abraham. And so that means Melchizedek and his order is even better than the Jewish faith. This is, this just, he's noticing that. He's just point, pointing out how great he is and how he is a blesser, but also how he, how he has global implications. So Abraham produce children and uh, the children and then they produce a nation called the nation of Israel and and, and this is a very um, local geographical nation but what we know about Melchizedek is that he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace none of these places are geographical places but he is the king of those places and so what we see in Melchizedek is that God has a bigger plan than just a piece of land in the Middle East. God has a bigger plan than just one people group or one family or one ethnicity. God has a plan that is, that is not uh, limited by geographical boundaries. His plan is, is that he does have a place, but it's not a place that you can go to here on this earth. It's a place that you go to in your spirit. It's a place for your soul. It's a place for your mind and for your heart. It's a spiritual kingdom that God has. And so Melchizedek kind of ushers that in, and he talks about that, and, 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 and he wasn't uh, according to birth. Like, like all the other priests, you couldn't just decide to be a priest when you grew up. You couldn't just go to priest college and learn how to be a priest. You had to be born into the right family. And if you're born into the right family, really whether you wanted to be priest or not, you would be a priest. If you were born to the Levite family, you're going to be working. That's your job. And so... So what you often got is you got people who were men who were priests who didn't really want to be priests. They wanted to be musicians or, you know, architects or lawyers or actors or, you know, whatever. They, like, they, they had other dreams and ambitions, but because of their birth order, they had to be priests. And so the betterness of Jesus is that he wasn't just born into this role. It wasn't just passed down to him. Rather, he was handpicked by God, that God declared with an oath as opposed to through birth he declared with with an oath he said i'm picking you i'm choosing you and that's part of the betterness of jesus that he was chosen by god to be a priest he's he was he's a better priest because he was a surety of a better covenant and that word surety there means it means a guarantee and so when we see jesus we see god's guarantee of a better covenant with us and, and what, what, what was happening is that the Jews were looking to a physical man 
a physical priest to be that assurance. It's like, yes, okay, I've talked to the priest, and he's blessed me, and I'm good, I'm good, I'm great. And if we're not careful, we can do that exact same thing nowadays. We can talk to a human pastor and feel like, okay, that pastor blessed me, prayed for me, everything's going to be all right. But the, the, the truth is that we got to look beyond, beyond humans. <laughs> we have to look to something better, and that is Jesus. And when you see Jesus, Jesus is proof of God's covenant with you, his covenant relationship with you. He has the, he's the surety of a better covenant because he's unchangeable. Let's, let's just go to that passage where it says, uh, 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 kind of toward the end there, where he, he says that this, this, this priest for us is, um, is the perfect priest for us. Uh, let me see. He has obtained a more excellent ministry. I, th- I think it's still in chapter 7. By so much more, he's become a surety of a better covenant because these were prevented. Yeah, verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, that Jesus was the perfect high priest for us because of these things. It says, first of all, he is, uh, uh, let's see, he's holy. And the word holy there, and I, I have a slide that just, just kind of outlines some of these things with the meaning of the words. First of all, he's holy. This is why Jesus is a better priest than your pastor or than an actual priest or than a human being because, first of all, he's holy. And so Jesus is holy, which means without wickedness. He doesn't have any, any ulterior motives inside of him. He's not looking to get something from you. He's not looking to gain something. He's not doing it with any kind of deceitfulness. He's holy. He's never had any wrong inside of him. He's ne- he doesn't know what it is to, to have an evil motive. That's our Jesus. He always comes with pure intentions and pure motives. He's holy. Not only is he holy, but he's harmless. And really what that means there in the original language is that he is without fear of evil in others. (laughs) It's real important that we have a high priest who is not intimidated by your intentions and by my intentions. It's real important that we have a high priest who, first of all, is holy himself, but also he's not afraid of your mess. He's not scared of what's going on with you. He's not, he doesn't feel like you're going to try to, 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 to somehow wreck him or do something to him. He's not uh, cautious about your stuff. He's harmless. He's, he's, he's completely, another, another way of saying it is that he's trusting. He's immediately trusting. He's not wondering what your angle is and what your motive is and why you're, why, like, why, okay, why are you coming to me this time? That's not the way Jesus is. He's, he's trusting. He, he, you, 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 you say that you believe in him, and he trusts you. He welcomes you in. He trusts you. So, secondly, he's undefiled. What that means is that he's without stain from any past issues. He doesn't have any past hang-ups. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, any, anything in his past that would, that would come back and that would, that would make you question him. He's without any kind of stain, and he's separate from sinners. And this word separate uh, from like from from the original word, it, it, it's a combination of two words meaning sort of like in the suburbs and nearby. And so, what it's saying is that Jesus, he's in the suburb of sinners, like, but he's not a sinner himself. He's near to sinners, but he does not associate with their sin. So he's separate from sinners. It doesn't mean that he's far, far, far away from sinners. He, he's come near to us, but he's not dealing with the stuff we're dealing with, which means he's able to help us. He is higher in his status. He's greater. He's better. It's such a high priest is fitting for us. Let's go, let's go back to that passage there in verse 26. For such a high priest is fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. 
who's become higher than the heavens, who doesn't need daily to offer sacrifices for himself first and then for us. Instead, he did this once and for all when he offered himself, which is the second reason why Jesus is better than any kind of system that you might have. Because first of all, as a priest, he's better. But also the sacrifice that he's offering is a better sacrifice. And I think this is where we can kind of get mixed up in church because what we do is we come to God and we come to church and we say, okay, I need to get my life right with God. And so we start looking for things that we need to sacrifice, which is, which is good. We want to follow him. We want to obey him. We want our lives to, to be good. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I say, there's nothing wrong with that system or with that form or with that method. But the dominant human tendency is to take something that's good and to turn it into our object of worship. And so, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, that we often base how mature we are based on how much of a Christian we can look. And we base our maturity on the wrong thing because we end up worshiping the form or the method and we kind of forget about Jesus. And what he's saying here is, is he's saying that, that Jesus is not only a better uh, priest, but he's also offering a better sacrifice. And he gets into this in chapter 8 when he says, uh, uh, in, in the ver first verse, he said, the main point of this is that we have such a high priest and he's, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high and he's a minister of the sanctuary, the true sanctuary, which is in heaven. He's a minister there. And every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. This one has something to offer. He has something to offer for your sin and mine. And it's not a goat. And it's not a ram. And it's not a bull. And it's not, it's not an animal. It's himself. And the betterness of his sacrifice is so much better than an animal. Because an, all, all an animal sacrifice could do would be to kind of cover you. So that God wouldn't see or hold your sins against you. Couldn't stop you from sinning, sinning. Couldn't really do anything inside of you. It just sort of made God look at you differently. Made God accept you based on the death of that animal. But the death of Jesus Christ is so much greater because his blood is the blood, not of an animal, but the blood of God. And the blood of God has the power of God inside of it. And so when that blood is applied to you, it doesn't just cover you and make you look different. It doesn't just sort of give God like rose-colored glasses so that he sees you differently. It does something inside of you. It actually, like his sacrifice is so much stronger. By the way, his sacrifice is so much stronger than your sacrifice. <laughs> because we don't rely on Judaism, but we often rely on ourselves. And we think, well, if I just sacrifice enough, if I give up that and give up this and start going to the church and do these things, then that sacrifice is going to be where I, where I hang my hat and I say, okay, I'm good with God now. But the, the, the great thing about Jesus is that he doesn't need your sacrifice. His sacrifice is enough. His blood is enough. His obedience is enough. His life is enough. Because his sacrifice is so much better. I mean, really, we, we, when you hold what little bit you have sacrificed and what little bit you've given up for God, you try to hold that next to Jesus? <laughs> this doesn't compare. Jesus is better. It's a better sacrifice because he's building for you and me a better covenant or connection with God. He's building something, a better bridge with God. And it's not one that's going to be based on your performance. It's one that's going to be based on his sacrifice. And so often, so often I think we base 
how we're doing with God based on our performance. And so, and so I see people, and 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 sometimes they're they're doing really good, and they're in church, and woo, everything's great. But then, like like things don't go so well, and they're not doing so good. And so then they stay away because they 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 they're in, they're they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, they don't want anybody to, you know. And and, and that's 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 the old covenant. That's the old way of relating to God. Truth is that. God does want to change you, and he does want to make you new, but he can't do that when you're running away. You have to come near to him. And as you come near to him and stay near to him in the middle of your mess, he changes you, and he does something inside of you. That isn't just left and right, but up and down. I'm, I'm close to God. I'm away from God. I can't really, I don't really know what I'm doing. No, you stay with him. You come to him, and you stay with him. Because his sacrifice is continual. He's continually making intercession for you and me. Right now, he's in heaven praying for you. Why in the world would you run away from somebody who is always praying for you? He's not judging you. He's praying for you. You can't pray for somebody and judge somebody at the same time. He is praying for you. He's on your side. He's, he's cheering for you. He's, talk, he's talking to the Father about you. And he's, he's asking good things for you. So you've got to come close. You have to come near to him. And as you come near to him and just, and just allow his acceptance and allow his sacrifice to be enough for you, you'll find that his sacrifice is much more powerful than some goat that's just going to forgive you. He's going to impart grace to you, power to do what you're called to do, power to walk with him in brand new levels to where it's not you trying and striving, it's you resting and trusting. <laughs> You're like I, I've I've run out of patience today, God, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna rest on your patience because you got enough patience. I've run out of I've, 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 I'm I'm starting to get angry. I got anger issues, and I, I I don't know how to deal with my anger, but I know you know how to deal with my anger, and so I'm gonna trust you because you're not you're not angry. You're not you're not frustrated at this when my car breaks down. You're not. You're not upset by that. You're not intimidated by that. I'm just going to rest in you because naturally I am really frustrated because I can't see any way around this. But I trust that your sacrifice is so much better than anything that I can bring to the table. Like it's so much better than your self-help. It's so much better than your effort. Trust me, your effort's not just going to be levels or whatever. It's really not that awesome. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you hold it up next to the, the sacrifice of Jesus, who was perfect, harmless, holy, separate from sinners, and yet went to a sinner's cross for you, that kind of obedience, do you have that? I don't think so. His sacrifice was so much better than yours or mine. We fail and we get it wrong, but he never once got it wrong. I'll take his sacrifice over anything I can bring to him. And so we find that Jesus is a better sacrifice, and he, he's our sacrifice. We have to put our faith in him based on better promises. And I want to quickly look at those promises just real quick. Here at the last part of chapter 8, he lists those promises. He says, Behold, the day is coming. In verse 8. Behold, the, day, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And this is what we're in right now. We're in a new covenant. We're in a new day. I'll make a new covenant the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I had to take them by the hand. See, God never intended this whole hand-holding ministry. <laughs> he never intended 
for you for, for you to reach out your hand and for him just to, 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 to walk you along. He never wanted to lead us by the hand. He always wanted to lead us by the heart. And all religion can do and all the old covenant can do is give you a hand to grab a hold of. And as you're stumbling and falling, you're still holding on to that hand. He kind of helps drag you through stuff. That's, that's not what God has for you. That's, the, that's our experience oftentimes, but that's not good enough. Jesus is better. He says, I want to make a new covenant with you. And just, just, just to reiterate that, in the Old Testament, when God made that covenant, I have a scripture for you, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 28. This is what God said about when he made that original covenant with those people. And this is God's heart. This is what God's saying. He says, then the Lord heard the voice. He says, he says he's talking to Moses. He says, look, I've heard the voice of your words. And all the people, because all the people said, we're going to follow you, Lord. We're going to obey you. We're going we're gonna to walk with you. And that's just like us, right? Like we go come to church, we're like, we're going to do it. Y'all fired up? Or at least the pastor is, but anyway. Y'all fired up? We're like, yeah. He says, look, I, I heard you, the Lord said. I've heard the voice of the words of this people. They've spoken to you, Moses. And they are right in all they've spoken. In other words, God's like, yeah, I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good stuff right there. That, that commitment, that, 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 that zeal. Oh, that's good. Verse 29, though, says, oh, that they had such a heart in them. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would actually fear me and always keep my commandments. Then it would be well with them and their children forever. What God's saying is, I hear your words, but I know your heart. And oh, I wish that your heart was just as great as your words. And as humans, this is the best we can do right here. We can go, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. And then our heart betrays us. And we get all fired, we get commitment, and we get words, and yeah, I'm gonna do better, and make promises, and all this kind of, and then, and, then, and, and then our heart creeps up, and it pulls us back, and, and God's looking at us, and he's like, I love your words, I love your singing, I love your commitments, I love your promises, I love all that stuff, but man, I wish it was in your heart, and not just on your lips. What is he doing? He's talking about that covenant. He's like, I know this covenant is not going to work because even though you're fired up about it, you're not going to be able to walk it. And he says, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will put my law in your minds and in your hearts. When I will not just lead you by the hand, but I will put it inside of you so that, so, so that it's not this external commitment to follow some kind of rule, but it's an internal transformation that, 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 that happens in your heart. And that's the betterness of Jesus. Because that's kind of the issue. Kill a goat. The blood lasts for a while, and then it dries and goes away. And almost as quickly as the blood dried, you're already betrayed by your own heart. And the sacrifice for you is gone, and you got to kill another goat. But the betterness of Jesus is you don't have to keep killing goats or making promises or making repentance or getting saved every single week. This is not what God has for you. Because your salvation is not based on some goat or some sacrifice or some commitment. Your salvation is based on the blood of Jesus Christ and the commitment and the sacrifice that he has made and your ability to trust in that sacrifice. And the reason why you feel like you have to keep getting saved every week is because you're not trusting in his sacrifice. You're trusting in your own works and in what you can do and what you can pull off. And God says, I, I, that's nice, but I wish, man, I wish you'd let me in. 
I wish you'd let me into your heart. I wish you'd let me just do something inside of you. I wish, I wish you'd stop just talking about it and just let me actually change you. Because as much as God wants to fix your marriage, he wants to fix you first. As much as God wants to fix your job situation, he wants to fix you and you and you and you only. You, just you, not you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your kids, just you. He wants to fix inside of you at the basest level so that your gut instincts, your heart doesn't betray you, but rather your heart agrees with God. And that when God says, seek my face, your heart says, I'm going to seek your face. I want to. When God says, read my word, your heart says, yeah, I want to do that. When God says, you know, follow, follow my church, like, like be, be faithful in church attendance, your heart says, I want to do that. When God says, like, give, give of your money, your heart says, I want to do that. And your heart just does what your heart wants to do when it's changed by God. And so this is, this is my altar call today. Is I, I, I just feel like several of us are putting our faith and trust in ourselves. And, and so my, my first altar call is just stop it. <laughs> stop doing that. Stop it. It's like my kids. Stop it. Just knock it off. Just give me a second to think. Stop. So, so first of all, just stop doing that. Just, just, just decide today that you're going to, that, 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 that's not the goal. The goal is to trust in Jesus. Change your trust from your actions to his actions. Change your trust from your ability to his ability. He can. You can't. He can. He can come inside you. This is what the, the promise, this is the promise of God. I will put my laws in their heart. I will write my, my laws in their minds. This is all internal stuff. He says, I will, I will do it. You won't do it. I will do it. I will come inside of you and do something you cannot do for yourself. It's a promise of God. You've got to put faith in the promise of God. And you've got to say, I believe that and I receive that in Jesus' name. I take it. That's mine. That, 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 that was written to me and about me. I need that. That's what it comes down to. Your faith has to get locked into Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. And, and if you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus ever before and you want to make that commitment today, I'd like for you to raise your hand and just pray a prayer with me and, and take that first initial step that says, I'm, I don't know a whole lot, but I want, I, want, I want that. I want to follow Jesus. And for those of you that are needing to make a are needing to receive, to accept Jesus inside of your heart instead of just outside, this is for you as well. And so let's just go to the Lord together and pray right now. Lord, we just, we, we come before you because we need you, because our sacrifices are not good enough, because our commitments are not good enough, and our desires, as good as they may be, we don't have the heart to follow through with them. And so we need you to change our heart. We accept the betterness of Jesus. We accept his sacrifice and his blood, which was not just for our forgiveness, but was for our cleansing. And as your scripture says here in Hebrews, that you are able, we believe that you are able to save to the uttermost, the uttermost, every single issue you're able to save. And this may take a while, but I, I open up my heart to you and I submit my life to you and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and deal with every single issue with every bit of lust and every bit of pride and every bit of self-serving and, and selfishness and, and self-interest, Lord, every, every bit of self-justification and every bit of, of reasoning that only promotes our own agenda. We invite you to come in and break it all down and to allow your Holy Spirit to be king and to be Lord and to be boss of our life. You call the shots. You, you 
You called the plays. We just run the route. <laughs> we, we, we need you. Every time we call plays, it just doesn't work. We, we, we need you to call the plays. And we promise, and we, as best as we can, we're going to run the route. But we need also your Holy Spirit to come inside of us to help us run this thing. So we invite the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit into us right now. Come in and, and write your law in our hearts and write it on our minds. Take it off of stone. Take it off of paper and put it inside of us. In Jesus' name. If that's your